Healthcare organizations need a key asset to achieve system-wide quality, dedicated leadership. We talk a lot about the role of chief quality officers on this episode of WHI, and that's why we're proud to invite you to our chief quality officer development program. You already know that CQOs need to get boards and senior leadership engaged, need to measure and report on meaningful safety and quality indicators, and to achieve high-quality patient-centered care for their organizations. This program helps you make sense of the challenges facing a modern CQO. Our faculty will lead you through a framework that focuses on quality as a system, coach you on how to strategically plan for quality, execute improvement initiatives system-wide, and engage the people and infrastructure to make it all happen. This is a great program for CQOs, for quality leaders, for clinicians engaged in quality improvement work already, and for C-suite leaders responsible for advancing both quality and safety. The Chief Quality Officer Development Program will be hosted here at the IHI in June. For more information, visit IHI.org CQO. Now, here's WHI. new administration, new executive orders, regulatory changes, and repeated attempts to repeal the Affordable Care Act. Well, that certainly generated a lot of uncertainty in the U.S. last year and may have affected some of our neighbors as well. And some of this promises to extend into 2018. That's this year. Still, a lot of changes underway with healthcare delivery have remained in play payment reform, the movement from volume to value, strategies to achieve greater equity as part of population health, and continued focus on safe and high-quality care. So if your health system hasn't lost focus on these priorities, you may have your chief quality officer or someone else fulfilling that function with maybe a different title, that person to thank for keeping everyone and everything on track. What a healthcare system needs most from the CQO? Well, that's our topic on this edition of WIHI. And I want to welcome you to WIHI. We're an online audio talk show from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. We come to you live every other week. And after the show, you can find us on our website, IHI.org, and on iTunes. I'm your host and producer, Madge Kaplan, and I'm also IHI's Director of Communications. Healthcare delivery reform isn't going away, and in many organizations, it's become the CQO's job to explain and sustain the systems that support all this continuous improvement up and down and across the organization, and ensuring that everyone, including trustees, um, is engaged in the journey. So what are the challenges? Well, plenty we hear. So let's hear from the experts, and we're going to do introductions in just a minute. First, here's IHI's John Gothier, and he's going to remind you how to make the most of your time with us today on WIHI. John. All right. Thanks a lot, Madge. Uh, just a few items to point out to help everybody make the most of today's program. Uh, on the right of the screen is the chat window. If you've tuned into WIHI before, you know about the great conversation that takes place in the chat. It's also where you can ask our panelists your questions, so make sure your questions and comments are directed to all participants when Madge opens up the floor to questions. This allows our panelists and your colleagues on WebEx to see all the questions and comments being shared. Now, there are a few ways that people have connected to WIHI today. If you're logged onto the computer and listening to WIHI by streaming audio coming through speakers or your headphones, you'll see a box in the top right-hand corner labeled Audio Broadcast. If you're on a less reliable internet connection today, we recommend calling in on the phone. 
If you experience any audio issues, please send a quick message to the host in the chat. A simple solution to any hiccup may be to pause the WebEx audio player and then press play. If you continue to have issues, please let the folks at IHI Customer Service know their number is on the screen right now. Also, if you're hoping to get your hands on today's slides, I've provided a direct download link in the chat. Tomorrow will be posted at our archive over at IHI.org slash WIHI, along with the chat and other helpful articles and resources mentioned by our guests. You can also email info at IHI.org, and they'll send the slides your way. Finally, we're always looking for ways to improve the listener experience. Please take some time after the program to fill out a very quick survey and let us know how we've done. Back to you, Madge. All right. Thanks a lot, John. And I want to remind everyone, we're going to turn to the chat and your comments and questions at about the halfway point of the show. You can tweet if you'd like during and after the program. Thanks for including our handle at the IHI and the hashtag WIHI in your tweets. That gets others into the conversation. All right, and let me now turn to our panel. Joining us by phone, we have Petrina McGrath. She is currently the Executive Transition Lead of People, Practice, and Quality for the new Saskatchewan Health Authority in Canada. Prior to this, she served as the Vice President of People, Practice, and Quality for the Saskatoon Health Region. Petrina provides leadership in the areas of strategy, quality, patient, and staff safety, among other things. You see her longer bio there. Welcome, Petrina. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be part of the conversation. All right. Fantastic. Also on the phone, we have Dave Williams. Dave leads IHI's work in leadership. He co-leads work in improvement science and methods, and he has served as the improvement advisor for large Breakthrough Series Collaboratives in the U.S. and Europe. Dave is also faculty for IHI's Chief Quality Officer Professional Development Program that's starting in June 2018 this year. Welcome, Dave. All right, we're just making... This is our roll call to make sure people... Sorry, hey, no, uh, uh, just uh, (laughs) technical issues uh, right out of the gate. All right, no, that's fine. the on-off button is really uh, off, often bedevils us. Okay, welcome, Dave. And here in the studio with me, please welcome James Moses. James is Chief Quality Officer and Vice President of Quality and Safety at the Boston Medical Center, not far from here. In addition to his leadership role at the BMC, Boston Medical Center, James serves as the Academic Advisor to IHI's Open school, and you've been doing that for a long time, right? Yeah, since 2011. That's right, because we're about we're um, getting close to celebrating the 10th anniversary. That's right uh, of the open school. So thanks. All right, we're going to get right underway, and Dave is going to get us going. And uh, Dave, I have to say, uh, this has been fascinating preparing for this show. I got to read a lot of material. The more I read about the expectations uh, of the chief quality officer, the more extensive it seemed to me. Um, and I'm wondering if we're at a stage where organizations are still trying to sort out what the CQO should focus on most of all. Uh, right now, it almost seems kind of everything. So maybe you can uh, help lay the groundwork for us. Uh, a lot of expectations uh, for this role right now. Thanks, Madge. Uh, yeah, I would agree. You know, when we looked um, across the landscape, there have been a number of different articles about the um, role of the chief quality officer and how that role fits in 
um, with uh, what's happening in healthcare and and the leadership of quality and, and patient safety. And um, recently, our uh, research and development uh, group, our innovation um, team, uh, did kind of a scan to try to understand what is the current state of um, the role. And uh, you know, chief quality officer now is a common. Uh, a role in different uh, systems and health systems, and uh, it varies a little bit in terms of the structure and the design of its name. But what was fascinating to discover is that, um, like we saw years ago with the uh, patient safety officer, uh, there are a number of different uh, similar titles that uh, share many of the same kinds of things. Uh, but then there's also a lot of, um, of diversity in the roles and responsibilities um, of these um, positions. Uh, at the same time, we were somewhat stunned to uh, realize that um, there's very little um, in terms of um, uh, programming or, or um, theory developed around um, supporting these roles in, in what it is that they should try to accomplish as, as they're uh, leading quality either at, uh, at a you know, facility or system level. And so that really um, um, got us focused, obviously, because we believe that leadership is, is a critical component in being able to drive quality and safety um, forward and uh, that it, it, the, it's a linchpin to the success of organizations. And we wanted to learn more. It's kind of a, a scrappy state. And um, another thing I think we found, too, is the more that we talked to people in those roles, we realized that um, many of them um, started uh, in the role as it was designed at the at the time, or that they inherited it, and and uh, they didn't have a lot uh, to be able to pull from to be able uh, to uh, figure out uh, what to do and and how to do it and and how to be efficient and effective in, in leading quality at, at a large scale up. What would you say, perhaps? Uh, I know there's a lot of details to all of this, and it's going to slowly unfold over the course of our hour together today, everyone. But what would you say are some of the key uh, priorities? And uh, is this a good moment maybe to flash at least some of the diagram, the driver diagram? We can come back to it. Sure. I mean, I, yeah. there, were, there were certain things that, that, um, you know, that came up uh, across the board. I mean, that were really clearly important. I mean, obviously, every um, health system has um, requirements of, of um, uh, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, specific measures that they're trying to accomplish is specific areas like uh, re reducing infections and um, and reducing um, uh, medical errors and things like that that, that are um, at the forefront of what, what needs to happen. Uh, and so there, there were specific expectations that needed to be in place. Uh, I think another thing that was recognized is that this role um, is really um, critical in uh, needing to be able to link with a number of different uh, leadership stakeholders and stakeholders uh, throughout the organization, including core leaders and frontline leaders, physician leaders, um, to be able to um, uh, activate a system of people uh, working on improvement. And then one other piece I'll add, um, without going too deep into the into the driver diagram at this point is is a, a recognition that um, there is, there's a, a, a significant need to develop a culture um, that supports people to be able to work in favor of quality, uh, and that that is um, that requires a number of different skills um, that may not be traditional in uh, some of the folks that that get into that role. It's uh, soft skills around uh, relationship building and building will, uh, as well as uh, more uh, harder skills uh, around uh, change management uh, and uh, helping to move from one state to another. Okay. All right, good. All right, so thanks, uh, Dave, for kind of getting us going more on this and more
more on, uh, maybe we'll take a, another look at the driver diagram a little further on. I want to turn now to uh, Petrina McGrath, uh, who knows a thing or two about this role. Petrina, uh, tell us about your experience um, in this chief quality officer role, I guess, in the Saskatoon regions. And I'm wondering uh, if some of what Dave has laid out uh, already resonates for you. Hi. Uh, yes. You know, when um, I've been working with Dave and, and looking at the driver diagram, much of uh, the research and the experience that he had uh, really resonates for me. Um, early on when I came into the role as the Vice President Accountable for Quality and Safety in our organization, um, I was really, you know, kind of learning by the seat of my pants as well and trying to shape the role and, and create the role. Um, just to give you a context, I, I um, came into the role and we had had in our organization business as a quality strategy and we had been having conversations at the board and engagement there. But, um, you know, from South Saskatoon, which is, just to give you some context, it's um, a lar it was large integrated health system within the province of Saskatchewan. And for those of you who don't know Saskatchewan, it's kind of Western Canada. Uh, it is the uh, birthplace of Medicare, for, um, which is really the key to our Canadian um, healthcare system. And so when I came into the role of, of this vice president role accountable for quality and safety, uh, we were just embarking on a, um, as a whole province, a look at how to have a consistent capacity building and methodology to quality improvement in, in the system. And we used lean as our, as our quality improvement methodology. And so our early days, we were very focused in really this rapid learning through events and through tools and uh, lots of uh, great learning in that. But about three years in, I would say um, we had a bit of a pause. And if you think about uh, changes, these macro plan, do, check, act uh, cycles, we were doing a bit of a check. And we weren't really seeing the sustainability um, um, in our improvements coming out of events. Uh, we were challenged to keep the continuous improvement elements going in the busiest of a, a service or a clinical area. And so part of our, our step back and learning from other organizations, and I think that's one thing as a chief quality officer, is that networking and really trying to learn from other organizations. And those that went ahead of us really uh, we learned from and started to shift our focus on the management system, really the management uh, processes in the organization that connected strategy um, from the organization all the way to daily uh, improvement work and daily uh, clinical work and how do you connect information going up and down the organization and really develop and coach and, and continuously improve in the day-to-day, week-to-week work. And so the, another concept that we've started to work with uh, that was a bit of a shift for us was this concept of leaders teaching leaders and this idea that we really wanted to build a system where your coach and your teacher around quality improvement was the person you reported to and how you build that into um, really the ongoing de people development of the system and, and really seeing that, that in a manager or leader role, you had, really had three jobs. It was to know and grow your people, to know your business, and to always improve your business. And how do we build that? So when I think about um, some of the learnings for myself and in this role, 
um, there's more organizational elements like the management system and the, the developing the processes and tools of the organization. And then there's probably the personal, um, personal development and personal experience and growth that I needed to go through myself and maybe personal PDCH cycles. And some of that was really about, um, as Dave said earlier, about this role of being an influencer and really needing to build that relational, um, the relationships in the organization very strong and being able to coach and to teach and to be able to do that at all levels of the organization and to help my team be able to do that at all levels. And so coaching up, I, I, I think about influencing up, down, and sideways really in this role. The other key piece was partnerships, um, really creating strong coalitions and relationships that helped move the, the system forward and, and creating, working towards moving from tools and events to a management system to really using quality improvement as a culture to really influence the culture of the organization and embed or hardwire that, that uh, continuous improvement thinking. And those partnerships that were key were with patients and families. Um, with our health equity and our Aboriginal Métis health teams, um, really helping us to build those relationships and learn with and from each other, and also to create what I would call a healthy tension. I think for me personally, that was probably one of the big things for me to think about is how does the chief quality officer role uh, embrace the uncomfortableness and actually create a learning tension in the organization? So. As we are learning and getting further, how do we then push to the next level and how do we continue to challenge? And I always um, think about this. Uh, I learned from a very uh, a coach of mine around uh, learning equals uncomfortableness. And if you're not uncomfortable, you're not learning as a system and you're not learning as an individual. So part of uh, my own work has been to help my team test and learn. So when I'm, we're trying to move forward things like leader standard work all the way from the CEO to the manager at the point of care, um, part of it is for me to test that, for me to use that, to me to understand how challenging it is to work within that and, and learn and develop, and for my team to do that so that we can go and, and coach and support. The other thing I learned to do is begin to observe behavior. So when we're doing something, observe what people are doing or not doing. And that usually tells me a bit around the depth of understanding of some of the, the concepts and processes and how then you know, can we guide and focus on, on that. So I think um, lots of learning personally and as an organization, and I would would kind of keep thinking about how you use the tools of PDCA cycles to think about those nestled um, cycles of change and learning and improvement as really core to moving forward a quality and safety agenda. Okay, thank you. That was a good sound effect. Uh, busy, <laughs> that's one of the things that we can say it might be true for the chief quality officer. So yeah. um, thanks, Petrina. I want to just quickly flash uh, two other slides here uh, that Petrina provided. One is some resources that have been helpful to her and we captured those for our resource document that'll be posted to um, our website. And Petrina also shared an interesting um, source uh, resource from Health Affairs, the uh, journal Health Affairs from 2013, thinking about patient and um, it, you know the ways of engagement, uh, sort of a patient engagement framework, uh, kind of underscoring some of what she was talking about in terms of that. Uh, I, I, in some ways, keeping things real for her. I, I'm going to just ask you uh, one follow-up question before we turn to James, Petrina. 
Um, when you talk about observing, what is it? Can you give an example or two of what kinds of things you might observe um, that would be indicative of either good things or problematic things or things that need attention? Yeah, so I think um, some of the observing is, you know, one of the things we've been really focusing on is on that scientific thinking. You know, how do you really use a methodological thinking of what improvement are you trying, what's the, what's the problem we're trying to solve? How do we understand what the current, how do you go and see, um, not just talk in a boardroom or in an office, but how do you actually go and watch a process and go and see? And so some of the things that when I'm trying to observe is, are, am I seeing leaders do that? When we're in a discussion, am I seeing leaders jump to the solutions? Or am I seeing leaders really use that thoughtful process? Are, are we engaging with patients and families to understand? Are we going to where the work happens? When I'm out on the units or in the clinical areas, you know, I'm looking at are the managers coaching staff? Is it a coaching at the huddles or is it a telling? So those are kind of the things that help me understand maybe the depth of understanding or the development and where we might have to do more work and how do we support people in that learning um, and understand those behaviors are really the leading indicators of whether we're getting that culture in place. Okay, that's very, very helpful. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Okay, well, that's a snapshot all the way from all the way in Saskatchewan. And uh, we'll hear more from Petrina as well as Dave. Let me now turn to James Moses from Boston Medical Center. So um, I didn't I say this, or I can't remember saying this specifically. Petrina has been at this for several years now in this role. Uh, James has been in his position not quite a year uh, and uh, although he's been at Boston Medical Center for a while. So, um, James, I guess you've had some opportunity uh, to really start shaping the scope uh, of this position, and so you're going to give us uh, uh, some interesting uh, insight into what you've been figuring out so far. Thanks. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah I'm relatively early in my CQO career, and um, and and I think, you know, in this initial transition and phase, there's been a lot of, you know, personal and professional growth that um, uh, that has been kind of sparked, I think, through the tension of wanting to be effective in the role and yet not having a defined, you know, roadmap or pathway um, uh, where someone's kind of laying it out for you. Um, and, uh, you know, specific to, to the Boston Medical Center, um, I think every institution is at a different uh, point in time along their quality journey. And, uh, you know, we started our quality journey in 2008. We're the uh, largest safety net institution um, uh, in New England. And um, it really wasn't until Massachusetts had uh, its state healthcare reform uh, that the quality journey started at BMC. And I'm the third chief quality officer uh, uh, that BMC has had with the first one starting in 2008. And so um, it's been... Uh, you know, not that long. And, uh, and very, I think, early in, in, in this role, I'm realizing that I have an opportunity that Boston Medical Center's identity has been tied to serving the vulnerable populations. And, and really, that's their identity within the city. Um, you know, how does quality and patient safety fit into that? Um, and, and in large part, I think the, the challenge before me is how do I 
get the institution um, to support the idea that quality and safety can be a central core value to taking care of the poor um, and is actually central to the mission. Um, and so uh, it's, it's been quite uh, a transition. I would say that uh, a couple of things about me. So I'm, I'm a pediatrician in a hospital made for adults. And, and so that has been a really interesting lens, um, uh, getting to know the adult services and uh, the surgical areas, the uh, medical ICU from an adult lens uh, and how that relates to, to pediatrics. Um, and, and in large part, I think I got the opportunity because I was a methodology expert on quality improvement. Um, but, you know, the chief quality officer role is a lot broader than just doing improvement projects and, uh, uh, and addressing, you know, uh, care gaps uh, with quality improvement. And so uh, a lot of my early reflections were, were um, you know, how do I gain influence with the C-suite? It was a huge one. Um, you know, I didn't want to just be the young kid, uh, uh, um, you know, the new kid on the block, uh, the young kid who, you know, wasn't supposed to be heard of. How do I make sure I have a voice in that? Um, I didn't want quality and safety just to be an afterthought <laughs> in what we do, but I wanted quality and safety to be a central thought for all the members of the C-suite. Uh, I think equally uh, uh, an early anxiety for, for me was what was going to be my personal relationship to the board. Um, we do not start every single meeting with a review of you know, number of patients who've been harmed or key quality measures. That is not something right now that's in the culture, um, but it's something I'm interested in, in, in putting forth. So how do I establish relationships with the board so that quality and safety is prioritized um, uh, as we uh, also prioritize um, the financial security of the institution? Um, you know, I think finding key partners and allies and, um, and in, in large part, finding key partners and keeping them happy, uh, I think has been also something I've been intentional about to ensure success. Um, you know, the new allies and, and established allies, I think. Um, and then one of my anxieties, I put it, put it on there on the slide, is I didn't know anything about budget. I didn't know anything about kind of how does the finances of a hospital actually work and how does quality and safety actually fit in um, and how could I actually leverage the relationship that there is a return on investment in quality and patient safety and make that uh, something that the C-suite understood. And uh, another, another thought I have here on the slide is, um, you know, everybody has a different definition of success and what success uh, in quality and safety looks like. And it was really important to investigate, um, you know, what the CEO thought of, of that question. Um, what did the COO think of that question? What did the CFO think of that question? Um, and uh, last but not least was this, this concept of failing forward that, you know, I do have a voice, uh, I do have influence, um, and that I needed to get out of my comfort zone um, and really push myself so that, um, you know, if I'm going to create change within the organization, I had to get comfortable with thought that, I think, Petrina, you, you really kind of nailed it on the head. How do I create a healthy tension? Um, how do I create a healthy tension um, uh, within the organization uh, to really spark progress? James, you want to talk a little bit about the uh, the ACO and moving from uh, a, a focus on uh, healthcare um, 
management to value? Yeah, I, you know, I put this slide in in large part. You know, I, I think as we think about the ever growing responsibilities of chief quality officer, I think very traditionally what our chief quality officer role has been at the Boston Medical Center has really been about inpatient hospital medicine, ambulatory outcomes, uh, but it's really been hospital based with a hospital mindset. Um, and, I, and I think you know this may be you know, value-based care and what that means in the Canadian system or in the UK or in the United States. Um, you know, for us, more approximately, uh, our Mass Health, um, which is our Medicaid program, the state is sparking an ACO transformation, and, and we're we're going all in. And at first, my role was undefined. How was James Moses, Chief Quality Officer, going to relate to the creation of an of our ACO? And uh, very clearly, over the last several months, um, more and more, as their quality slate has gotten established, uh, I'm having more doc- knocks on my, my door uh, to basically be brought in to uh, try to help out. So, um, you know, this is one of the, the things on the horizon. Um, and, and, you know, us as chief quality officers are probably going to have varying roles uh, in carrying out uh, value-based care. Uh, but it's definitely one of the uh, future pivots, I think, in this role that's that's for the taking. Thanks, James. <laughs> <coughs> this is Madge. I apologize. I've, I've just had this cold, but I'm back here. Um, if this was alluded to, but I wondered if you could speak to issues around, you spoke about a vulnerable population yeah. and the maintaining of mission in all of this. Um, Petrina made some reference to indigenous populations as well. And I'm wondering, (coughs) this is very much part of the DNA, for sure, of Boston Medical Center, um, perhaps a little differently than some health systems that are now putting equity a little bit more squarely in their strategy. But what kind of challenges does that present in the quality and improvement space, and where does that fit in terms of your responsibility as a chief quality officer? Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's been a real nice alignment to say that, you know, just taking care of the vulnerable <laughs> populations, just taking care of the poor and disadvantaged is not enough. We have to make sure that those groups get the highest quality care that they can get um, and that we need to be representative of that mission. And, um, you know, we're in the city of Boston and we have many wonderful uh, healthcare institutions. Um, and it is very obvious within the city, those, res- those institutions that are resource heavy and, and those of us who are resource light. Um, and, you know, I, I would say, you know, for Boston Medical Center, that is very much on the front end of the healthcare transformation that's happening. Uh, um, you know, we are, every dollar counts in a different way than I think uh, our, um, uh, our colleagues uh, within the city. And they're able to dedicate more funds and resources to their quality and safety mission. Uh, but, you know, I think for us, uh, the value proposition is, you know, we need to make meaningful investments in quality and safety as part of our mission. And how can we use quality improvement and various methodologies that reduce um, inefficiencies and waste within our system to maximize kind of the value that we're able to provide to our patients and the care that we're providing? Okay. Thanks a lot, um, 
James, and while I um, was coughing, did you talk a bit about failing forward? I did. Okay. I did. Okay. All right. I want to make sure that was covered yeah. as well. Thank you. Um, all right. Before we turn to Q&A, and I really want to know, we all want to know what's on the minds of uh, folks who are joining us today. We're kind of hopscotching uh, through um, new terrain or emerging and evolving uh, terrain, and I guess I wanted to go back today for a minute, and let's, uh, John, put up the uh, driver diagram again, and um, maybe just give us some idea, uh, Dave, of kind of where we're headed. I mean, what's sort of the future uh, state, in a sense, that um, IHI and some others were trying to see if we can start to help shape um what we're what we're aiming for uh, in this role. Thanks, Dave. Great, thanks, Madge. Well, so as we mentioned earlier, one of the um, one of the things that we went through was a process of trying to interview um, uh, about close to two dozen uh, chief quality officers from the United States, uh, Canada, um, Europe, um, and. Um, <clears throat> What we found really early on, and, and the driver diagram is, is kind of, I should tell you, is a reflection of, of the theory that was built um, over many iterations um, that uh, we, this is, I think, the eighth or ninth version as we uh, spoke to folks. Uh, but there were, there were uh, several things that we found. As I mentioned earlier, similar to uh, patient safety, there was a um, there was a focus in the direction of quality at a system level and the establishment of a role to particular, particularly be in, in the leadership um, place, um, but there wasn't necessarily a unified or well-defined theory of what that role was. And um, uh, over these conversations and, and over looking at the literature and, and um and job descriptions and, other, and, and things, we, we began to sort of develop a grounded theory of, of themes of things that were important, and we tried to lay them out here in the driver diagram. Um, and, and some of these are what you hear from Petrina and from, from James. So, you know, starting at the top, there was a, there's an infrastructure that has to be built within a system um, that uh, is, is critical to being able to improve uh, quality at a, at a high level. And, and we heard mention of, of uh, finance and figuring out how to, um, uh, you know, engage with the C-suite and the board and getting organized around clarity of what you're trying to accomplish and how that's going to happen, uh, reporting, uh, introducing um, a scientific improvement methodology, uh, uh, you know, a focus on uh, not just um, uh, overall, but uh, being uh, stratifying your populations and, and understanding, um, you know, how, how you're achieving your aims at an equitable level. Uh, there's, there's a deep need to be able to kind of lay the foundation or develop an infrastructure that supports improvement. Uh, a word that kept coming up over and over again uh, in every conversation with it was this idea of culture and creating a culture around um, that scientific improvement, that desire uh, and will to, to learn and discover and to fail forward and to be able to activate the people in that process. And so uh, in the second driver, you see a number of different um, elements around that process from uh, how we coach people and use the Socratic method to invite people to try and test and learn and build knowledge, um, how, how we uh, create problem solving, 
uh, how we integrate into the way that we do our work and we implement those practices in such a way that um, every level of the organization is part of that and uh, emphasize um, trying to get us to creating um, reliability and predictability in the way that we do our work, generating a culture that invites people to be looking for improvement. Um, and then the, the bottom three drivers, uh, those of you that are, have studied um, in, improvement science or probably recognize them already, even though the terminology is slightly different, they, they build on the shoulders of, of uh, Joseph Duran's uh, trilogy of, of the sort of three stages of improvement thinking, that we need to plan for it, that we need to have a systematic way in which we can look at our system and, and how we're doing and uh, where we are in relation to where we want to be or where, um, what needs we're filling in, uh, to the customer in the community today and where we need to be in the future and making sure that we're prioritizing it um, in an effective way and thinking about different populations. Uh, we need to have, once we've, we've planned on what we need to do, we need to think about how we're going to improve it. How do we move something from one state uh, to another? And how do we uh, teach people about uh, improvement methods and tools and build up that capability and focus on strategic improvement projects and use our methodology in such a way that we um, can uh, make strategic improvement. And then uh, the last and probably uh, often the most challenging is how do we sustain our control? How do we actually manage um, the, the results that we have um, and be able to do that in such a way um, that we can continually put focus on uh, making adaptations and tweaks that sustain the gains, that, that, that hold them in place and um, you know, keep it uh, stable and moving and also escalate when we recognize that there are things uh, that need to move into improvement phase. So, so this process enabled us to kind of build a theory. Um, uh, that's what a driver diagram is. It's kind of structuring a, a systematic framework. And part of what our hope is, is that now um, this can act as, as a starting point for us to be, uh, be able to um, help new and current chief quality officers not to have to go through the experience that we heard from um, Petrina and James and, and many others uh, who we interviewed who really had to sort of grapple their way um, to uh, sense-making in this process, but to give some degree of a, of a framework uh, from which to begin with. We uh, recognize it's probably incomplete, uh, probably has uh, things to improve or to add or, or to change, but we, we hope to use this kind of as a foundation to be able to begin. And, and that's one of our first tests this year with uh, the Chief Quality Officer Professional Development uh, Program at IHI, which is, is the only one of its kind. Okay. All right. Well, that's uh, there's a lot in this. And uh, um, I think uh, being comprehensive, though, is is good. And I want to now invite um, those of you who've tuned in, uh, want to know what um, is on your minds about the CQO role. Uh, perhaps it's the one that you're in the process of shaping right now, uh, engaging with. Um, so please uh, don't hesitate. Uh, any questions whatsoever? Um, I wanted to uh, ask while people are, are thinking about uh, some of their ideas, um, what is it that, uh, you talk there's a lot of talk about culture and sort of trying to um, create and sustain that culture in the organization. And um, so one of the questions I have is uh, who does the CQO, rely on to kind of help do this, uh, since the one individual cannot do it. You can sort of set uh, standards uh, for sure. Um, but what is the sort of team that a chief quality officer needs around him or her? Um, Petrina, let me start with you, and then uh, maybe I'll ask uh, um, 
James that question too. Who who do you <laughs> who's helping you in this? <laughs> so I would I would say um I have a team of, of individuals that have been have extra training and further training on quality improvement and and um, you know ability to run events and to coach and to support. Organizational learning and leadership is another uh, group that I um, have within my portfolio. So uh, people that have expertise on organizational development, design, and, and team building. Um, I have. Um, a specialist in client family-centered care or patient family-centered care. They very much help um, in embedding and making sure the patient's voice and uh, we're always focused on um, the patient and family. And I also have people that are, have expertise in, in um, staff safety as well as patient safety. And so it's quite a diverse team and it, it is in that diversity. Um, and then in those partnerships, as I said before, with some of our health equity and other that don't really sit in my, in my direct team, but are key um, people that we work with that are, I would say my extended team is, is important. Okay. Very, very good. Um, James, any thoughts at all about the team that you're in the process of building? And then thank you for the questions uh, that are coming into the chat. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just quickly, um, you know, we don't have a lot of formalized structures or teams that are geared toward culture change. And so it's really looking at the assets within the organization of who can help, um, you know, HR communications, um, leveraging the C-suite and its influence. Um, and, and really, you know, all of us coming together and leveraging the teams that, uh, and the members of the teams that we have to, you know, first decide kind of what exactly do we want to do? And then, uh, kind of co-creating together uh, an approach that we feel will be successful for the organization. Okay, thank you. Great question. What's the distinction between the CQO and the chief medical officer, CMO? Uh, I, well, I don't know. Should I start with Dave on that one? Uh, what, what in, in the uh, poking around in this issue, what, what uh, have you come to around this? Well, I'd be happy to start and, and, and see if uh, Petrina and James have different experiences as well. So it depends. So this is another one of those things where we found wide variation. In some places, um, they're t uh, very much tied. Um, and so uh, and, and they may even be one and the same in terms of somebody who's focused in on trying to uh, produce clinical quality, uh, focus in on um, uh, making sure that we're, um, uh, you know, reducing risk to patients and, and harm and, and, and even getting into the roles of, of uh, helping with physician leadership and, and helping with credentialing and other kinds of things. Um, in other um, organizations, it's, they're completely uh, separate and partnered. Um, and uh, there, there's a, a you know a different distinction where the chief quality officer is very much more about the quality strategy um, that may or may not be isolated to clinical quality. It could also include other uh, operational quality that's outside of the specific delivery of clinical care. And so they can be um, peers and uh, co-collaborators in producing. Um, quality. So it, it depends on, on um, the, the facility uh, or the system at, at the state. And I love James and Petrina's perspective. Petrina, any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I, um, I would say there, there's quite uh, diversity in that. My um, own uh, thinking is um, whether it's the same or it's in partnership, I think having them 
in, in some close partnership is really valuable um, because I think and, and I'm sure James can speak to this. I, I think the role that physicians play in our health system is um, is critical. And when you're uh, aligned and working and together leading a strategy uh, with a shared uh, model, I think it, it only accelerates or helps you progress. So I think close working relationships with the chief medical officer, whether they're an official dyad relationship or um, just collaboratively working is, is really critical and really important. Thank you. James. Yeah. Um, so I, I actually report to our chief medical officer. Oh. Um, and it didn't used to be that way, uh, but, you know, it's been this wonderful alignment because, you know, the chief medical officer, as I see it, is really kind of physician-in-chief for the institution and can leverage the influence that Petrina uh, was, was just kind of mentioning, that you need the providers at the table, um, and, and you need a strong physician leader to, um, to facilitate a culture and where that's expected. And, um, and then, you know, my role is very much centered on quality and quality as a strategy, as David mentioned. And, um, and this allows kind of a very specific focus as opposed to a chief medical officer who assumes a, a, a quality role has many different things, you know, that the quality strategy then is being added to. Um, and I think by having it partitioned, you allow for um, kind of a, a way for the institution to have somebody at the leadership level just focused on quality and safety and that mission for the institution. <coughs> Somebody is asking whether the sort of flip side or related, is there an opportunity for non-medical personnel to uh, assume this role? Um, I don't know, Dave, what have you found out? And if there are any <laughs> chief quality officers uh, with us today um, who have come up through other kinds of ranks other than a medical one, please um, feel free to talk about that. Dave, uh, why don't we start yeah. with you on that? Well, Madge, I, I think it's um, it, this is another place where it varies. There were a lot of opinions about this, um, as even with our panel here. I mean, Petrina has a nursing background. James is a physician. Um, I would say for sure that uh, most of the chief quality officers that we um, spoke with um, called uh, called out a need to be able that that the individual in this role um, needs to have uh, a deep sort of awareness and or appreciation for the way uh, that uh, you know care is delivered and the environment in which care is delivered and has to be able to um, uh, speak in a, f a fluent uh, manner um, with uh, clinicians um, at, at all different levels and so um, often people uh, strongly stressed that they felt um, that uh, being a physician or being a nurse or or some clinical you know uh, position like that um, was um, necessary others felt it was useful um, but there was also uh, agreement that it would you know that this role as I think James mentioned has to work in um, in relationship with other leaders um, and so it is possible that uh, somebody can fill this role who comes from a non-clinical background uh, or isn't a physician or nurse. Maybe they have some other kind of clinical experience, but has a strong foundation in um, quality improvement and understanding the healthcare environment and then partners with other leaders who support that linkage and connection. Um, so I don't think there's one right answer, but there's definitely uh, some opinions and some outcomes that are important. Okay. Well, that's an interesting one, and that may be one issue that evolves over time. Um, 
somebody is asking, is the CQO chief quality officer primarily seen in large institutions? Um, is this an, I don't know, Dave, if that came up uh, in, in your research and investigation? It, um, it is more likely, I would say. Uh, you see, uh, and there's also chief quality officers that operate at a system level where there may be, uh, they may be over multiple facilities or, or practices. Um, there are some that are at a more local level uh, for a uh, institution. Um, and uh, I know I've, I've seen some from like federally qualified health uh, centers. Um, so it varies. Um, uh, the title may exist. What, what really I think varies is the scope and, um, and depth of the, the roles and responsibilities. Okay, very good. Uh, thanks for all your uh, comments and questions. You can keep them going. Uh, there is a question, um, quality and finance. I, I confess, David Wang, I don't entirely get your question, although maybe somebody smarter than me can figure it out. But let's just talk a little bit about quality and finance uh, as well. Um, and I don't know, James, is that something you can, what what role is the chief quality officer playing there? Yeah, I, I think I understand the question. I Good. think this is a, it's a tension that we, we feel uh, uh, quite a lot, right? Because there are with the kind of growth of pay for performance and incentives and penalties tied to quality, whether it's, you know, MIPS and the ACO measures or um, CMS's value-based purchasing mm -hmm. and hack reduction program, um, you know, we, it, it is a reality. And, and the growth of uh, the finances tied to those quality measures is something obviously that's been intentional by the external environment to get hospitals to focus on quality. Um, but they don't always, you know, they're not always on point. And, and you sometimes do find yourself measure, managing the measure as opposed to ensuring that you're improving the quality of care. Um, and I think my response to this is you need to have a blended approach. You can't have an approach that ignores the financial realities to poor quality uh, uh, measures in large part because it's not just finances. Uh, those same measures uh, comprise in the public space your quality reputation institutionally. Um, but if you can figure out a way to do well on those or um, have enough resources within your institution where I still think it's really important for us to do the work where um, the other type of quality and where you're asking patients what matters to them, you're asking providers what matters to them, and you're able to have a grassroots kind of bottom-up approach to some key quality concerns that uh, staff members and, and patients may be having. Um, you need to be able to do both. It should be an and statement and not an either or or statement. Okay, thank you. Patrina, perspective uh, from uh, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, uh, different issues in, in Canada perhaps uh, in terms of uh, penalties or reimbursements or incentives, pay for performance, but uh, how would you talk about quality uh, and finance um, in, in, your, in this role? So certainly um, similarities like the financial pressures within the Canadian healthcare system, I think, are probably very similar to um, the American experience in that, you know, we we have um, limited dollars and we need to know that we're providing the best uh, safe care. And I think we all believe that safe care, we know that harm and poor quality costs us in the system. 
Uh, I think one of the challenges is is how do you how to get the for us anyway is how to get the really good data systems and really good data that helps us be able to show the impact of improved quality in a financial um, in a way financially and. Uh, Certainly, that's one of the challenges is being able to get the data and be able to show that. The other thing I think in a, around culture and continuous improvement is um, this is a multi-year journey, and I think when we first started um, in our work around lean, I think there was this assumption that you know year one you would be showing um, dollar improvements coming back from your quality improvement, and I think that's a really um, flawed um, understanding because I think it takes many years to build that capacity and get the depth of of uh, the culture the, where you need to. And so, I think you're looking at five, ten years, and you do see organizations who have been on this journey longer who are really seeing a, a, a bending of cost curve in related to quality and safety. And I would say we have. Um, in our, some of our work are able to show a cost avoidance and, and really be able to begin to show that, but it takes time and uh, worry sometimes around um, going after the measure versus are we actually changing the culture and changing, um, sustaining a, a way of working. Thank you. Echoes the theme, I think, um, as you were saying, James, managing the measure. Another question about population health. Um, I'll, key issue uh, that institutions are working on, health systems, to varying degrees, uh, part of strategy right now, sort of uh, kind of woven into expectations uh, for their upstream ways to help people stay well. Does your job, James, in, intersect with that um, in any major way, or is that also something uh, in progress? Yeah, I, I would characterize it as uh, in progress, I think for us, um, uh, you know, the population health structures and processes and approach uh, is not traditionally uh, something kind of within I foresee as a, a chief quality officer role. Uh, but because I think we we all are seeing the healthcare transformation focus on population health based efforts, um, the word quality is getting thrown in there quite a lot. And uh, uh, as I mentioned in, in my early part of my segment is more and more I'm finding that I'm getting drawn into those conversations uh, because it's not just population health efforts for the sake of population health efforts, it's population health efforts for cost utilization savings and quality of care measurement performance. Um, so I think it's, it's probably variable. David probably can comment on that better than I can. But I see it as a, a growing focus uh, of, of this role, and I think there'll be variation in how chief quality officers relate to it. Okay, interesting. Dave, thoughts on that uh, as part of uh, the uh, kind of review that you have done so far? Yeah, no, so I think that, um, you know, it, it is something that uh, falls in some people's um, spaces, and, and in others it's, it's uh, separated out. Um, I think no matter what, it's important that, um, you know, I think chief quality officers in some ways have to be able to help incorporate that into the planning of what you're trying to do, uh, focus your attention on uh, for, for any coming year in the future. So if that's a, a you know, big part of, of your um, uh, organization's aim, uh, then it, it, I think it makes sense that it would be integrated in some fashion uh, whether, uh, in, into the way that you plan out your work. Mm -hmm. Okay, thanks. 
right, John, let's take a quick uh, moment here uh, just to remind uh, folks of uh, something very excited about here at, at IHI. Go ahead, John. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, for, well, from today's uh, program, uh, you already know that C- CQOs need to get boards and senior leadership engaged and to measure and report on meaningful safety and quality indicators, achieve high-quality patient-centered care for their organizations, among other things. Uh, and to do these things, they need skills and the knowledge to take on that challenge. And that's why IHI is proud to invite you to the Chief Quality Officer Development Program, which Dave mentioned earlier, which is an in-person training being held this June at the IHI. Um, This program helps you make sense of the challenges facing a modern CQO. Our faculty, Dave included, will lead you through a framework that focuses on quality as a system and coach you on how to strategically plan for quality, execute improvement initiatives system-wide, and engage the people and infrastructure to make that all happen. For more information on the CQO development program, visit IHI.org slash CQO or shoot us an email at info at IHI.org. Thanks, John. All right, let's go around the horn and uh, maybe we'll start with Petrina, kind of some of the challenges uh, ahead. One of the things we talked about as we were planning the program was the chief quality officer being able to uh, stay balanced as systems change uh, in terms of what the system even is in, and joining with other organizations, uh, et cetera, as market forces. Um, so, uh, Petrina, perhaps you could address that and any other challenges uh, ahead for you. Yeah, um, you know, I think uh, it's, an, it's actually a very exciting time for us in Saskatchewan. We are just um, um, going through a major um, health change and, and, and transformation and really amalgamating into one health authority for the whole province. And I think with that is obviously a major organizational change. But from a quality uh, perspective, a great opportunity to kind of remove some of those boundaries and be able to uh, really look at, the, I think, some of the discussion before about the health of our population and and be um, really looking across the entire population and focusing on um, improved quality, safety, and innovation in, in our new system. So it is a time of, of uh, change, and I think that's probably uh, true of many organizations um, in health. I think nothing uh, really stays the same, but also an incredible opportunity. And I think foundationally we've, uh, you know, been building across the whole province a quality improvement mindset, and it's our opportunity to really accelerate into, you know, the next level for us. Well, it does sound really uh, terrific, and I want to thank you so much, Petrina, for bringing the perspective of the province and Canada and uh, a lot of uh, similarities and interesting challenges. So um, we look forward to hearing from you more. Uh, James, let me ask you, kind of uh, as you're sort of on the horizon uh, um, what what's on your to-do list? Yeah. What isn't? Uh, what isn't? Um, you know, I, I, I'm really looking forward to this opportunity I have within my organization to make quality and safety a core value. Um, uh, it's, it's maybe more of a traditional view, uh, but I think it's where we need to start. Um, and I think it will have um, uh, impact on kind of the next five years, 10 years journey that we are on uh, around population health as well. Um, so uh, that's kind of what gets me excited about my role and the current opportunity that I have. Okay. Thank you so much, James. Um, really appreciate your perspective. 
And Dave, um, uh, any kind of parting words for us um, about sort of, it seems to me, uh, opening up the whole discussion about the chief quality officer role at some level is talking really about the whole system and the whole organization and sort of how things become embedded um, throughout the system. We're talking about a, a job, a position that's doing that, but that's reflecting a huge goal uh, for organizations today. So in many ways, I think it's, it seems to be suggesting this is the next wave uh, for health system transformation. Well, we're hopeful. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I have to throw in a Deming quote. You know, Dr. Deming used to describe that it's not good enough to work hard. You have to know what to work on and then work hard. Um, and I think that in many ways what we discovered is there's a lot of people that are, have worked really, really hard to learn their way into these roles and to try to make a difference uh, in people's lives in a systemic way, um, but absent of, of um, uh, a foundation of theory. And, and for us, um, we're hopeful that uh, this is the beginning of starting to formulate that theory and make it um, a little bit easier to think about how to uh, work and lead uh, quality at a, as a system uh, within our organizations and our communities. And it's, uh, it's just the beginning, so I'm excited to be part of it. All right. Well, thank you very much, uh, Dave Williams, Petrina McGrath, and James Moses for being on our panel today, um, beginning to kind of open up this vista on the chief quality officer. We look forward to continuing to learn on this journey. Big thank you to our audience. Thanks for your participation and your questions and comments. Don't forget, you can download uh, everything that you've seen on the show so far, the slides and the chat. Uh, and then uh, you can do that actually when you log off the show today. Um, you can also find all the resources and the audio um, on our website tomorrow. Next up on WIHI on February 8th, we're going to look at another really um, hefty issue, practicing more careful and thoughtful diagnosis. Interesting work, uh, paper that's in progress, uh, uh, being spearheaded by Dr. Gordy Schiff over at Brigham does a lot of really interesting thinking about the diagnosis field and all its dimensions. Uh, so please uh, consider that as something you might uh, check out. Also want to remind everybody when you log off the show today that there is a survey that we ask you to fill out. It doesn't take much time and it helps us know what worked for you today with the program and how we can continuously improve it. Thank you very much for that. And if you have any questions whatsoever, you can email info at IHI.org. Great group of people help make WIHI possible, and they include John Gothier, Matt Morse, Vicki Minden, Haley Ladd, Joanna Carmona, Jameson Case, and Val Weber. It's my privilege to host a program that's about this kind of spirited learning and improving health and patient care most of all for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. I'm Madge Kaplan, and I want to uh, also just let you all know this is our final WIHI in these studios over here in our Cambridge location. Uh, as you can see from many of our emails, we're moving to downtown Boston. Imagine that. Um, and uh, you can expect all the same fine programming and people and WIHI there as well. But it's uh, I think we figured out we produced over 
close to 200 shows here. Yeah, and next time we'll be next time yeah. James will be a little closer so he can he can get here 10 minutes earlier. Oh, there you go. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I know I'll be over Busy my CQO. I'll He's be, on often, so. All right. I'll be over my cold by then. So, thank you all. Thanks for all your support. Have a good day everyone. Thanks.